we basically came up with an equation for customer success. It's super simple. By the way, we're not the only ones that thought of this. Sure. This came from many people. But the basic idea is CS equals CO plus CX. Customer success equals getting your customers to the outcomes they're looking for. With, that's CO with great experiences. That's CX. Now, why do we separate outcome and experience? When some people think of customer success, if you just thought about it, you heard the term, you're like, oh, you mean customer happiness? You mean customer satisfaction? You mean customer delight? And I, that's all kind of part of the experience. I'd say that's great. You have to do that. But if you're in a B2B subscription business, your customer's not just buying you to have fun. It's not like a consumer business. They're buying you from some desired outcome. And so the reason customer success exists is in a subscription business model, if the customer's not getting the desired outcome, they're not gonna stay with you. Doesn't matter how much they like you, doesn't matter what their NPS is, if they're not getting the outcome, they're not gonna stay with you. So customer success is getting their customer to the outcome they're looking for with a great experience. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those in the trenches actually doing the work. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Neil Desai. And on today's show, Gainsight founder Nick Meta knows customer success doesn't matter if product outcome isn't there. If you ask any luminary Silicon Valley or any successful subscription entrepreneur to boil down all of their advice to one particular thing, it always comes down to focus on the customer. Classic. Classic, <laughs> classic focus on the customer. We've all read a Forbes article that 100%. said this or somewhere, right? But what's interesting about focusing on the customer is that the customer is not just that moment before they realize that they need you to the point where they actually convert. That customer experience, that customer success, see what I did there? That customer success comes down to not only acquiring them, but expanding their usage and their, their dollar amount they're paying you over time and ultimately retaining them into the long term. Because as we know, subscriptions are all about relationships and that relationship is baked in directly to how we make money. So if you have the relationship with that customer, they're going to stick around for the long term and hopefully expand the cash that they're giving you. And I'm really interested as a product person how product ties into customer success because product is solely responsible for having a deep understanding of that customer uh, and driving its success all the way to creating champions and advocates of your brand uh, is a team game with customer success. 100%. And that begs the question... If you have customer success, you have product, why do you need both? Right. What is the separation? What is not the separation? Where are they aligned? Where are they not aligned? And ultimately, what in the world is customer success? Yeah, because right? there's so many different there's definitions. There's so many definitions. Everyone's got a different opinion. Oh, is that customer support? No, it's not customer support at all. Should they have quotas? Should they not Profit have center, quotas? Profit center, cost center. Yeah, all of debate. the above. And so we have the perfect guest in order to talk about customer success. And Nick Mita, the CEO founder of Gainsight, who is going to walk us through not only what is customer success, but how to align it properly within the organization, how to measure it, and ultimately what comes down to customer success being successful and what comes down to customer success being unsuccessful, which is a weird way to say it given the multiple successes in there. Um, but Nick Mita, he's got a storied career. He's got a little bit of a rap career as well, which we're going to find out about in a second. But ultimately, I'm really, really excited for this episode because I want an answer to what the hell customer success actually is <laughs> and ultimately what makes sense in a customer success organization. All right, cool. So let's jump in. How'd you get here? Like, why product? Why, why being like, a product manager? Why oh, yeah. Customer success? Like, well, I, I don't know about I'll you. Take but your real back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, my, I don't know about you. My life is really just a random walk down the kind totally. of the street. And, it's and then just, you have some like nice thread. That then you, you kind of have a story it. afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. of how I was 
born as a kid, I always wanted to do CS. Now there's a funny story from my childhood, which is actually, it, it does echo back to it, which is my dad was an entrepreneur, cool. he was an executive, and when I was a kid, he took me to work one day, and I, I like a kind of take your kid to work day, and there's a photo of me in that day, and I remember him telling me, if you ever go into business, make sure you're either the person building the product or selling the product, because once you get the customer, you don't have to worry about them anymore. Oh, and it's funny that that mindset is the exact opposite of what we do now. Now, it's not like that that catalyzed me right away to go do something different. Customer I, success. I was eight That's years that. old in, Pitt, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. Yeah. But then but then my quick story is, um, I, I, I always, growing up around startups and tech, I just love, I love technology, I love business. I actually really love also the opportunity to like, help people in like your company and your culture and your customers and just the people side of business. I really enjoy that. Some there's CEOs who love people and CEOs don't like people. I'm definitely the CEO <laughs> likes people, right? And they're, uh, both of them are great. And so I think my, my thing was I was always into like business and growing up around my dad. So I, I did a startup in college, which is uh, super fun for was an e-commerce company in the early, in the late nineties um, during the dot-com, first dot-com. Uh, super fun. Uh, we sold built-to-order golf clubs online. Oh, if you Google cool. chipshot.com, there's still a commercial online that we spent a lot of money on. That's that so was cool. very funny. That's um, so cool. But it went kind of like this and That's like very this. very like Web 1.0 too. We were total Web. Great. We were yeah. on magazine covers. We were like in, like like 20 years old. It was it was it was different time. Awesome. So we did that, and then I worked in enterprise software for a while. Worked at a company, good, good company, Symantec, which actually I came in through a company called Veritas, and I was a product manager, and eventually ran a division of like the combined company. And it, that's kind of where I got the traditional software world. It was great, and, but it was kind of the world where people installed our stuff on servers and you know, they paid us all their money up front. It was a good time. It was like an old, old model, right? And then, then I got to run my first SaaS business, a company called Live Office before Gainsight. And in running that company, I just didn't, had no idea the thing you know all about, which is you move to subscription model and everything changes. And so I got into this company. I'm like, I, I didn't found it. I got hired to run it. And I, I learned that so much happens after the sale and so much isn't just about getting that new customer, it's about keeping them. And so I basically was like, wow, this is like a whole new world. Yeah. And, and I, I did know that at the time, there's no software that like helps us with all this stuff. And so we sold that company eventually to Symantec. And then I took some time off. I was, I was actually an EIR, entrepreneur in residence at a VC firm. And uh, thinking about what I wanted to do next. And actually another investor called me, and uh, Roger Lee at Battery Ventures. And he called me and he said, Nick, I'm about to fund this company, very early stage, tiny company, which is the Gainsight. And, um, but here's the idea. And I just fell in love with the idea. And that's, I just had my six year anniversary. So uh, it's awesome. been a fun ride. Let's talk about your rap songs. Oh, um, the so, failed rap career. Yeah. Yes. Well, I don't know if it was failed. Okay. I heard there was some iTunes revenue. There's some revenue. It, it might be yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. dollars. And most of it's my mom, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, buy, buy next song. Buy exactly. Next song. That's cool. What was like, like, I mean, what I loved about it is it wasn't just the, uh, you know, we, we've had like the random, you know, SaaS CEO yeah, yeah. rap song yeah, like yeah, yeah. on YouTube, very poorly done. You actually guys, you went to like Capitol Records. We did, yeah. You did all this kind of stuff. Like what was, you know, tell us about that story. Well, it's interesting because basically um, Anthony Kennedy is our C chief marketing officer and, and we're so lucky to have him. He's been with us from the very beginning. And one of the things he has is this unbelievable vision for kind of taking things from pop culture and taking things from tech and seeing how they can be blended together. You know, we've done carpool karaoke and yeah. this rap thing, lots of other things. And so one of the other things he has is he knows the difference between an idea done well and an idea not done well. And like the ideas done well can be really successful. Yeah. The ones done not well actually look kind of painful, right? And you can see that in some of the tech marketing that's out there. So that, what we ended up doing, and it's amazing, he just pulled this whole thing off, is he, he was just like, he, had, he knew somebody at Capitol Records, which is in LA, it's pretty cool to go there actually, really yeah. need to, to see the place. And you, we show up there, and there's a guy named Jensen Karp who does a, a TV show called Drop the Mic, which is kind of yeah. training people on how to be a rapper. And so the whole <laughs> idea is me 
pretending that I want to be trained to be a rapper, although I actually really would like to. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so Jensen, Jensen's yeah. index career, Jensen's like training me. We made a kind of an office style documentary video of me basically in my rap career. And then we made a song and then he, you know, he helped do it and we, we all did it together and it was super fun. But I think the keys to the, the success were number one, the vision to say, okay, how can we blend all this together, which yeah. Anthony's amazing at. Number two, the like uh, the ability to do it well, which we have a, just a great team. And I, if you're ever thinking about things like this, you got to do it well. You got to think about the branding and the video and the, the direction. And we just have awesome people around that and the writing and everything else. And number three, a, a CEO that's willing to be completely shameless, uh, which was great. And I, 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 you basically had to channel your inner Michael Scott from The Office. <laughs> and I was kind of born for that role. I love so that. So I was like, I'm in. Uh, know that so it was very yeah. fun. So Patrick, when's your mixtape coming out? My mixtape is never coming out. It's in the vault. Dan and the rest of the media team have it somewhere, probably. Gotta give with a million likes, we will release the rap. No, there is no rap video because I think there's enough CEOs doing rap videos. Although Nick's was pretty good. If you haven't seen it, we'll link it in the show notes. It actually was pretty good, and they did it. That's why I kind of alluded to in the interview. Like they actually did it really well. It was when I first saw the clip, I like rolled my eyes, and I was like, oh, another you know, yeah. rap video from a tech CEO. And in reality, it was really, really good because they went to Capitol Records, they had a real producer and all these other things. And I don't I don't think Nick actually rapped that much in the video. <laughs> so yeah. it was one of those things where they had like an actual professional rapper like do, do a lot of the things. But anyways, I think that I really like the whole concept that he was talking about, particularly with that, where Anthony, his CMO, basically finding these things that are within culture, um, or that you know are basically being driven by culture and seeing where they can kind of overlap with tech. I think that's a really common theme we're hearing, um, especially in DTC, but even in you know marketing at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're totally seeing a lot of enterprise SaaS companies pick up the playbooks of consumer brands, right? And and ultimately buying is changing. a lot of cringe, but there's a lot of cringe stuff that comes out. That is true. Like, there's a lot of cringe where you're just like, oh. And you know what's kind of funny is really we make fun of some of the cringe, but some of the cringe works. It works. Like there's a guy, I can't remember the company. I think it's seamless.ai. Like it's, I, I know nothing about the product. I think I did sign up for like a, a trial at some point, but it's, it's a sales enablement product. That's as much as I know. So I can't speak to the product, but he does, it's a sales oriented mm-hmm. product and he does like a DJ set on LinkedIn, I think every day or every Tuesday or something. And I thought it was it's a most, recurring thing. I, it's a recurring thing. I don't know if it's still going. I know it was going in 2019, but I, I just remember cringing so hard at it. And I listened to a few because I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like I want to explore content. But his audience loves that, yeah. right? His audience is all about it, right? Whereas if you did that with like a group of product people, nope. they'd be like, Ugh, uh, ugh, I don't know what this is. Why are they trying to be too, too big? But I, I do think... The, getting back to the point here, the the other really really interesting thing that that Nick talked about there was what his dad said, yeah, which was you know be in sales, be in product because you want to build the stuff or sell the stuff because once you have the customer, doesn't matter. Totally. And right? <laughs> uh, while it may have been sage advice at the time, I think the landscape is changing, right? I think especially with the the rise of customer success, as Nick's about to share with us. Uh, well, I don't think it's because of the rise of customer success. I okay. think the rise of customer success is a response to the market basically getting more intense, right? Where we associate even with B2B software with the brands more that we that we go after. And now it's not just acquire customers, but it's also like monetize them and obviously retain them because there's so many more options. I don't think, I, at least in my opinion, and Nick gets into this in a little while, like I don't think that you truly needed customer success in the 90s. Like you probably did and, and, and it was like support, but 
it wasn't as important as it is today, if yeah. that makes sense. No, I think I think that makes sense. Though there's so many different definitions too, right? Oh my I gosh. Mean, like, Customer success is like trying to define this is not it's easy. It's kind of like defining product marketing or yeah. even product in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like th- there's not a clear definition. And I think that that's probably what's what's really, really held the industry or the rollback, I yeah. think, is that lack of a definition. And I think that Gainsight has done just a phenomenal job of like pushing the brand of customer success mm-hmm. and pushing the market of customer success forward. But let's hear it, you know, obviously straight from the source here, like what is the true definition of customer success? And I would pay very careful attention to what Nick talks about in terms of not just being a role, not just being, you know, one particular part of the organization, but customer success is more of a strategy that permeates throughout multiple different departments within the organization. I think one of the the most pressing questions I've had for you is, what is customer success? Yeah. Because in the past few years, I mean, you guys were the, the big category creator, in my opinion, at least. And with, you know, customer success, there's just so many definitions. What does it do? What do they own? Totally. So from the guy or the company, <laughs> what is it? We, th- we think thought a lot about that. So we actually, it's funny, I'm a side note, Super nerdy on the on the on the side. Was yeah. very much into math and physics. So everything Gainsight eventually turns into an equation or. I science saw you analogy. have like the uh, the periodic table. Periodic table of, of elements of, of customer yeah, yeah, success. Yeah. There's quantum physics stuff we can talk about. But we basically came up with an equation for customer success. It's super simple. And by the way, we're not the only ones that thought of this. Sure. This came from many people. But the basic idea is CS equals CO plus CX. Mm-hmm. Customer success equals getting your customers to the outcomes they're looking for. With, that's CO, with great experiences, that's CX. Now, why do we separate outcome and experience? When some people think of customer success, if you just thought about it, you heard the term, you're like, oh, you mean customer happiness. You mean customer satisfaction. You mean customer delight. And I, that's all kind of part of the experience. I'd say, that's great, you have to do that. But if you're in a B2B subscription business, your customer's not just buying you to have fun. It's not like a consumer business. Yeah. They're buying you from some desired outcome. And so the reason customer success exists is in a subscription business model, if the customer's not getting the desired outcome, they're not gonna stay with you. Doesn't matter how much they like you, doesn't matter what their NPS is, if they're not getting the outcome, they're not gonna stay with you. So customer success is getting their customer to the outcome they're looking for with a great experience. Yeah, it's funny, I just got into a Twitter, like back and forth with a couple of people on this exact same point, which was, you know, the experience doesn't matter if the outcome isn't there. Yeah. There's plenty of products we use where we get the outcome and the experience is, I mean, I, I think there's there's probably a point where it's too negative and we're like, we don't care about the outcome. Yeah. Let's go switch to someone else. But didn't you didn't you write about uh, NPS and retention and all that? Yeah. I saw that study and it, we've seen some other things where it doesn't always correlate. Well, it's funny too, is like the companies that have customer success like functions, yep. either scalable customer success or like um, blocking and tackling yep. dedicated account managers or customer success Or some mix of yeah. Um, typically the churn isn't necessarily solved by those crews. Yeah. Um, expansion is definitely solved. Totally. Like it, it, it drives expansion, but it doesn't drive churn reduction. It does a little bit slightly, and that's because outcomes is typically a product piece rather than like, a, oh, let's just get a, you know dedicated customer success. It's, so, it's interesting you said that. We, one of the other equations we use, because there's so many equations, is CS is greater than CSM. So CSM is that role. Yeah. You might call it account manager, CSM, sure. whatever. That role is super important. That's, that's my people. Uh, we, we talk to them all the time. But CS is kind of the, the broader process of customer success. And we, when we define it, we say it's all the way from 
ideation of the product, product development, launch, documentation, support, customer success, of course, customer success management, but also the way that you do the renewal, the way you onboard them. It's the whole kind of process end to end. And you got to think about all those pieces to drive the outcome that you're looking for. And the other thing I'd, I'd see, going back to this NPS thing, NPS is just capturing one piece, one moment in time in that from one person, by the way, in a B2B audience, they're like 15 different people at the customer. One of them may love you, give you a 10. They're not getting the outcome. They're not staying. Totally. And that's what's funny about NPS. It's like every, the, the, there's just a misunderstanding of yes. like how to use it, right? Totally. You know, it's it's, it's like, a great tool. It's just, yeah, yeah. And like the top level number is kind of interesting when you look at it over time. But yeah. really, it's all about the segmenting it down. That's and exactly like right. Combining it with other data. And I think the difference, we always kind of try to like explain to people, okay, wh- why did does NPS work so well in the consumer world? And the, I think the subtle difference is in a consumer world, I am, as a, as a person flying on United Airlines, misguidedly, I am, the, I am both the decision maker, the executive sponsor, the user, the champion. I'm like the one person. So therefore, yeah, my experience equals my outcome and it's all the same thing. And I'm the same person who renews or not or buys again. But in this B2B world, you know, you've got all these different roles and they're all having different experiences and they all look at the outcome differently. And so you really got to look at this in a much more holistic way. NPS is just a piece of the puzzle. Recently, Gainsight, you guys are moving more into product, right? right? Yeah. When you're doing that, is it basically because of the CS being greater than CSM? That's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah, we we basically do this um, this visual of like an orchestra. And, And the basic idea is like, when people think of customer success and even sales, in the old world, they'd use this analogy of football, right? Both of us, we talked about football before. And, you know, and they'd use this analogy of like the quarterback and who's a quarterback on the account. I mean, you've probably heard this terminology before. And we were like, that's so old school. There's not like one person who manages the customer. That doesn't even make sense, particularly if you have a high volume business. So the orchestra analogy is the idea that in an orchestra, every group is playing their own instruments, the xylophones, the wind instruments, the whatever, but they're all playing together because they have a common sheet of music and a conductor keep them all together. And we think that the great customer success strategy in the future is all the groups playing in harmony, whether that's the product team, the sales, marketing. And so one of the most important ones is product. And if you think about customer success, you cannot go far if you don't get the right product alignment. And so we actually got into this whole area of what we call product experience, which is what are you doing in the product to drive that great experience that gets the customer the great outcomes, but right in the product in tandem with whatever you're doing in that CS team. Yeah, and and how do you... so? Selling to product teams, yeah. like it's notoriously terrible. Oh, we're, like, we're just learning now. So <laughs> no, yeah. Well, they, no, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's more just uh, because no, totally. like everything, because everything's product, right? And, and totally. this, this kind of goes into like the, the burgeoning of like customer success, which yeah. has always been around. It's yeah. just now it's like a field and it's an org, totally. and a specific org. And when you think about that, like customer success has had a lot of trouble and they've overcome this a lot, but making sure that they're valid in the product meetings, making yes. sure they're valid in the sales meetings, because as you said, it kind of permeates through everything. Now that you're getting into the product world, like what's, is there a strategy right now of like going after and being like, how do we get product on board totally. with customer success? Like, well, how do you think about that? So I'll give you, I'll sh- share a story internally, a real, like real world story yeah. that I think actually highlights that both groups want the same goals is the bottom line. Totally. And the good news is that we're not, they both want the same things. Now, the story is actually my, um, my former chief customer officer is now my chief operating officer. His name's Allison Pickens. She's well-known in our space. And then my chief product officer is a guy named Carl Rumhart. And, you know, it, it, I was in a management meeting about a year and a half ago. This actually got me thinking we had to really solve this area. Mm-hmm. And they were both trying to report on customer adoption. Um, Allison was, of course, using Gainsight in one way, and Carl was using Gainsight actually in another way, and using the same terminology but with different metrics. Literally, 
adoption depth and breadth were the terms they were using. And they meant like kind of the opposite things. And so they were both trying to solve the same problem and just not talking to each other about it, right? And this is of course easily solved in that meeting, but it kind of got us thinking, God, product managers, I started my career as a product manager, by the way, product managers and CS people want the same things. They want the customers to use the products. They want them to get good outcomes. They want them to have a good experience. They want to learn from the customers. They want to understand what the customers are doing. They want the exact same things. But right now there's been the silo. And actually the analogy we use is in the old world, marketing and sales wanted the same things. They both wanted revenue to grow, right? But before maybe five, seven years ago, pretty much every marketing org was like totally solid from every sales org. And I think most marketing orgs now are much more tightly aligned with sales. They came up with common metrics like an MQL or an SQL. The same thing needs to happen in product and CS where we see them come together. And in fact, I actually just met one of our customers. He's the chief customer officer at a company and he just got promoted to now run CS and product and his CEO wanted them to come together. Now that's not happening all the time, but I just think that's an example of like this stuff kind of being needing to align more, just like sales and marketing. So this really resonated with me, I think specifically around how he talked about product being aligned with customer success and needing both outcomes and a delightful experience for your customers. Yeah, in addition to that, like wanting the same things, right? You know, CX and and product, really it's all about not... (laughs) In, in, in <laughs> this is where I think there's actually trouble with customer success, um, frankly, like just as an organization, as, as, a, as a group, because what I was about to say is they both want the same outcome, a.k.a. good experience, good retention, good expansion revenue, all of these different things. And that kind of leads me to, OK, well, if they want the same things, why are there two organizations? Right. That's true. Yeah. Why are there? T- why is product different than customer success? Because if you if you run a product organization, I would argue similar to our product organization, customer success kind of lives within it. Right. We've done that with part of our analyst team, um, the pricing product. We've done that with part of you know, frankly, our product advocate role, which is kind of a pseudo product manager, um, as well as kind of support and, and customer success, which it's all kind of blended into one. Obviously, we're an organization about eighty, not an organization of a thousand or five thousand, where you know there's a lot more surface area. But that's what's kind of really interesting to me is that. I don't know the right answer, frankly, because I think it is department or uh, firm dependent. But what I worry about from a customer success kind of industry perspective is that there isn't like a very clear role and there isn't a very clear definition of, hey, this is why we need a customer success department versus, hey, this should be in product or this should be in, you know, XYZ part of the business. I think one thing that's interesting is you're seeing more and more customer success orgs have a revenue or a quota, right? Yeah. Um, Well, that's a huge debate too, where it's, should they have a quota? Should they not have a quota? Because it's about, you know, like XYZ. And and I think that what we alluded to before, um, he was asking about the NPS data that we published is that customer success typically doesn't have a huge impact on things like churn. It Mm -hmm. has a huge impact on expansion revenue. Because if your product sucks, it doesn't matter how much customer success you have. Now, hopefully that customer success is reporting back to product in order to you know, talk about, hey, this is why we're probably going to lose this customer. This is why we're going to expand this customer. But then why is that not under product? Right. Especially as product teams are seeing more and more quotas as well, right? With the onset product of product growth. growth cetera, yeah, exactly. Um, so that'd be interesting. I'd say if, if in the next five to 10 years, you see more and more CS orgs transition from a CRO or a head of sales into yeah. product. If we take an enormous step back, though, I think that... Like, like a huge step back, not like a 10-year step back, a 30-year step back. This is, I think, what, we're, what we end up seeing here is basically a, a shift just in how businesses are run. So if we look at 
basically the market, you know, the golden age of SaaS and subscriptions was basically, you know, 2000 to about 2010 or a little bit more. You didn't really need most of these right. roles because it was just the market kind of pushing us forward, everything getting cheaper, acquisition just opening up left and right. Now we're in this world where we're going back to kind of the fundamentals of a business that is in a, not necessarily a super competitive environment, like depending on the B2B SaaS market you're in, but a more competitive environment. And so all of these things are more important. And I think what's happening is we're basically fighting for what is the best practice in order to be successful. And when you look at product-led growth, when you look at customer success, when you look at you know, product marketing, um, you look at all of these different types of departments, RevOps now is a new thing that's coming out. I think what's really happening is it's not necessarily like this is the best way to do this or this is the right way to do this because that's very firm dependent, but we're living in this world where it's really coming down to what is the best practice? And there's all these companies that are trying to figure out that out and some are going to fail. Like product-led growth might completely fail. Yeah. You know, customer success might completely fail. It, it'll still exist, but it just might not be called the thing. I mean, I, th I think as we see it becoming harder and harder to acquire new customers, it's just smart business, right? You have an existing Rolodex of customers that you can make more money from. Why double down on, on net new, right? Uh, so I think it, it, it's taking a step back into like what what's the smartest, most efficient path to growth. Yeah, and it's going to be, again, like your market and your sales motion and your product motion dependent. I think what we don't realize, because we have a what I would consider a very strong product organization, um, is that most product organizations are toothless. Most are reactionary. Most don't have a strong product leader. You say most are? Yeah, most. I, I, I know. I'm shocked, too. Because I think that, and, and I realized this when um, I was talking to Heaton, actually, about this. And we were talking about how this whole concept of having like a very product-strong CPO mm -hmm. or a very product-strong CEO is actually not as, as common as we would think. Huh. Because most of the time, you have a director of product who really is struggling. He or she is trying to you know, get information, is trying to run initiatives, actually doesn't have as much budget as you would think. And we only think of the intercoms of the world, the drifts of the world, the wistias of the world that have a really, really strong product sense. Most organizations aren't like that. Do you think that stems from just leadership culture and DNA? Oh, 100%. A lot yeah. of CEOs yeah. think that they're, you know, they're the one who's going to run product. They're the one who's going to come up with that innovation when they have not the time nor the wherewithal to actually be you know, kind of pushing things forward. And so I think that's that's what's kind of the, the the asterisk here is that I think customer success is something that is quantifiable as we're going to find out in a second. It's something that's concrete enough that people can understand, and when deployed properly, it follows the whole notion of you know we've heard this kind of generic you know phrase before where it's you know something like ten times easier to get an existing yeah, yeah, customer yeah. to spend more money than to get a brand new customer, right? And that's where I think there's a lot of hope with customer success, and I don't exactly know what it looks like. I think um, you know Gainsight's done a phenomenal job to like make this something that should have a seat at the table, and I think that that's great. But it's one of those things where I think we're still we think we're past the infancy. I still think we're in the infancy because I know that, you know, even customer success departments, it's hard to get budget for things like Gainsight and sure. other pieces because, you know, it's not sales, it's not engineering. Yeah. No, it's exciting for me to see, at least as a product person, to, yeah. to know that I'm aligned with the goals of customer success. Because at least here, it's like we're on the same team and uh, now we're, we're being measured by the same numbers. Well, and I'm so excited about Nick and the Gainsight crew going after more product and experience initiatives, mainly because I think that is the bridge, which is 
you know, if you, if, you, if you kind of expand into the customer success side, which they've already done, obviously, and the product side of customer success, or even just this whole product-led growth notion, now all of a sudden you're starting to see this like actual vertical appear, which I think is is super, super fascinating and something that can actually push Gainsight really forward and ultimately the market forward as well, which is great. What I'm most excited about is this like unifying measurement between both product and customer success, right? And I think Nick has some interesting... Uh, stories around this, specifically how he's been able to see organizations transform over time. The product side, I mean, we have a CPO where everything's product. Like everything's product. Oh, that's yeah. product. That's product. That's yeah. product. Yeah, like, right. Everything product. would be product, Everything, yeah, right? Because totally. it's experience. So how do how do you think about like bridging that gap with the metrics? Like do you guys, are you more formulas, more metrics coming out? Like in terms yeah, of bridging I think there are definitely more formulas on um, one very specific thing, which is aligning the metrics of success between product and CS. I think that no matter what the org structure is, um, having definitions that are common. I'll, and I think an example that might resonate with people is uh, basically how do you measure your product team, right? And I actually think that honestly as a CEO, it's something I think many, many CEOs have wrestled with, which is like yeah. sales is kind of great. Sales has got like a quota, they hit it or not, you can kind of tell whether the gong's ringing and you start generally know how things are going. And, and you know, customer success wasn't always there, but I think we're getting there. And we've got retention and NPS and adoption and things like that. And I think product has always been an area that hasn't been super measurable. You know, it's been an area where you, you know, it's beautiful, you look at it, but it's like, okay, well, how do we know they're doing a good job? And I think what becomes really complicated when you have many product teams. So most people move to some kind of a squad or autonomous team model where you don't just have one team. And in that world, how do you tell that team's doing well or that team's doing well? So I believe the future is measurement in CS and measurement in product that are aligned together so that we're seeing the world the same way. I was talking to one of our customers, very high-profile SaaS company, and probably one of the SaaS companies you think of as most product-driven, and the CS leader was like, the product team thinks everything's perfect, and yet... The customers don't feel it that way, but I don't know how to talk to them. And it's, so I think this is the thing we have to solve as an industry. What, any ideas on, quite yet? on Basically, the thing it? that we're, uh, our pitch is um, people have already adopted the idea of a customer health score. So you kind of score your customers based on, let's say, their, their uh, sentiment, their outcomes, all these things, right? And, and Gainsight software can help, but even if you're not, you just, that concept is resonated. The same thing needs to be there for a product team score. So a scoreboard for the score of a product team. And that score is gonna include things like old, older things like quality and velocity, but should include new things like adoption of that feature and the experience that customers are having and the outcomes if you can measure them, right? So the scoreboard for product and the scoreboard for CS need to be aligned. That's super interesting, right? Because it's like, there are things that influence product. Like there's, in, there's things that influence at the health score of that customer right. that are product related, uptime, reliability, that's those right. types of things. And then obviously feature adoption. So that's, feature, and, I, and, you know, that's and it can be other things, competitiveness or whatever. You can put whatever you want. You just need an objective way to look at it. And I think for a product manager, they need that too. Because you know, one of the challenges nowadays if for a PM, I, you know, I was a PM before and nowadays you're just flooded with input. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, you have so many sources of input. You've got a maybe an online community. You've got your competitors. You've got yeah. G2 Crowd or other, like, sure. online review sites. You've got your customer success yeah. team, Zendesk tickets or whatever else you're using. And so I think you need some way to rationalize all that. So product scoring is kind of, you know, the thing we've been thinking yeah. about. That makes sense. Well, another, you know, periodic table of... There will be some kind of thing. Exactly. Success, It'll be part yeah. quantum-related in some yeah, way. Though. Yeah, exactly. It. That's cool. But I think it, it makes a lot of sense, too, because I think that the, the biggest struggle that we, we've kind of had in, like, SaaS or subscription 1.0 yep. was, oh, well, it's like a, I, I, made it, I made this really complicated thing. And it's like, yeah, but that's cool that it solves the outcome, but it's, like, super complicated. That's and right, like, yeah. Subscriptions 2.0 or 3.0 here is, like, 
just do it for me, which That's means right. you need the adoption, you need all that kind of fun stuff. And so, yeah, there's all that like friction between different like styles and different groups within the company. It's interesting because one meta observation I give you is like SaaS, like I like how you say 1.0, 2.0, it's, SaaS has been in the cloud forever, and yeah. theoretically it's been on our own servers forever that we've had all this data forever. Yeah. Most SaaS companies, and you probably see this in your business too, they still run a lot like on-premise software companies. They don't embrace data. They don't embrace the ability to dynamically change the experience. They don't, don't embrace the ability to talk to the user directly. Mm. So they, they still haven't fully woken up to the fact that they're in the cloud, even though we're in the cloud. Sure. So it just takes a while. When we were when we first started, um, we first started with our pricing software. Right. Um, it was amazing where we were applying it to a bunch of different industries. We worked with some retail folks. We worked with some marketplaces and then subscription and SaaS. And the reason, one of the reasons we chose like SaaS and subscriptions was because all those other industries had like deep pricing teams. Yes, like right. it was just like one of those things. That's where, true. It's, it's like yeah. well defined. In you go to Hallmark; yeah. they have 150 people dedicated to pricing. Yeah, customer insights and you know the world of SaaS. It's like you talk to your customers and you're like a god. You yeah, know, the yeah, right. Yeah. Which is like so fascinating. Actually, so. I agree with that. I think in general, in software and SaaS, we're rediscovering the things that many other industries already know, yeah. um, because our customers just now finally have power. The old world of software, the customers didn't have power, but in consumer businesses, retail, they've always had power. Scoreboard. What do you think of this scoreboard? No, I mean, so to be super clear, I think metrics oh, you're are not super a scoreboard important. Person, no, 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 no. I think metrics are important, and and having shared metrics with its customer success is important. But I think in the long term, having the exact same scoreboard could drive short term incentives for product. I think you're a bad product person if that's what happens. It, elaborate on that. Well, because the essence of product or mm-hmm. like being a good product person is like constantly straddling precipices. It's basically always being like, hey, here's all this data, but I still need to like empathize and maybe go with my gut. And so if you're allowing a scoreboard to basically tell you what to do, you're a bad product person. Right, if I'm judging on a revenue number, uh, no, but that's not, but that's, but that goes back into like the measurement, right? It's like figuring out like what the scoreboard is used for. So if you're if you're just sitting there and like that's that's not necessarily what's what's being measured, you're ultimately being measured on something like churn or expansion revenue, right? And your scoreboard is an input, presumably into that particular place. I think I think that's fair. I think churn and expansion revenue are something that both product and CS has to be on the exact same page about to 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 make work. I would I would just argue that you know over the long term. Uh, the, the revenue targets that CS may have may not be entirely aligned. This is what bothers me a lot, a lot of product people. You're actually aggravating <laughs> me right now. What? And the reason you're aggravating me is because I think that there's a lot of product people and we deal with them when we like sell our price intelligent product, mm-hmm. we deal with them with our retained product. There, there's a lot of product people who are like, oh, don't give data. Data's bad. Oh my gosh. Like, yep, data's important. But if you give me data, it's going to make me short-term incentives. Like, I think that's... That's that that annoys me. And I think the reason it annoys me is because there's a lot of product people who go out there and they say, well, if you just showed me the data, if you tracked the data, it's going to make me not do my job well. And that's really annoying to me because I think what what Nick is talking about is we're talking about basically an early warning system, right? We're talking about like like a scorecard. Like, of course I need a scorecard. I should have a scorecard where I can see health scores on a customer-by-customer basis, knowing that it's not going to be perfect, and that's going to be the larger issue with a scorecard, is figuring out, does it is it a fire drill? Meaning, like, when someone pulls the actual fire drill, I don't actually go out because I'm like, oh, it's just a drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus, like, actually, I believe the scorecard. 
I think an early warning system is actually like super, super high impact for the entire organization. And when you start to aggregate that data, like we talked about with NPS and segmented, that's when a lot of the so that's, gains come. That's fair. I, I totally concede on the scoreboard being used for early warning signals, but that also means that you and Facundo can text me at one in the morning when there's an early indication of retention being low for the month. First of all, I will text you at two in the morning, not one in the morning. But the other thing is, is that when you think about, like, of course, that should be the text that you receive, though. Hopefully not at one or two in sure. the morning. But of course it should be, right? Because we're, like, we're not... We're not sitting there and we're like, hey, ultimately, like, this is why, oh, this drives me nuts. You got me all worn, wound up now. Like, this is why, like, tracking early, like, data on anything is important. And anyone who's like, oh, well, that's going to make us, like, go in the wrong direction, you're, you're not, it's not a false statement. But the thing is, is that a proper leader in that organization should go, okay, yes, ultimately, this ultimate number, expansion revenue churn, whatever it is, is the number one number. But we need all of these indicators that go into that. And the indicators aren't always going to be right because statistics, you know, they're really, really good in aggregate. Sometimes they're not good at an mm-hmm. individual basis and actually vice versa, depending on the stats you're using. But I think early warning is something that's like actually super, super useful. I think that's fair. I think with enough context and patience, I think, I think that's fair. I think, I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just like literacy in statistics and metrics. Easier said than done. I don't. I don't think so. I think that because like, we're all emotionally tied. Like I'm emotionally tied to our customers, like no one else here. That's is. fine, but we're not. We're not sitting here and going, "Oh, okay." First of all, like no one else here. Come on, come on, Neil. But I'm not sitting here and like, "Hey, only work the number, work the spreadsheet." I'm saying quite the opposite. I'm saying have the spreadsheet, have the numbers, and then you, as a smart individual, understand the limits or the, you know, power of those numbers, and then make a decision. And what I hear you saying, perhaps unfairly, is, well, like, I don't know if I can get the numbers because the numbers are going to make me do the wrong thing and therefore it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I, that's, that's what bothers me. But that's also, I think, a barrier to Gainsight's business. I think that the whole periodic table of customers, I love it. It's cool. But when you get into Gainsight and when you get into some of these products, and this is why I think them going into more product um, oriented products for the mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase is actually really cool because I can't rely on my knowledge of what contributes to churn and what doesn't like maybe my knowledge because my background's in data science and kind of metrics, but the, the typical kind of customer success or product leader who doesn't necessarily have like that math or econ background, it's really, really hard for them to build their own custom model in order to figure out what that early warning system looks like because you know, it, it might be like a low NPS score, but really it's probably a lot more complicated than that. Um, and it should be more complicated than that. And that's why I think that we need better software. We need better algorithms to basically create better health scores um, that don't rely on just my knowledge, but rely on the knowledge of like what the data actually says. I think I think that's fair. I think you're seeing a lot of product growth teams come up as a crutch to the product teams that maybe don't have that data centricness to them. Um, I think that's fair. I yeah. Fair. Well, and I think you're also seeing that there's a lot of product teams that are are starting to track a lot of like engagement. They're starting to track things like NPS. Basically, they're starting to gain knowledge on like what makes sense from a product perspective. And I think the ultimate thing here, and just to kind of take a huge step back, the ultimate thing that we need to really realize is that it's not about a one-size-fits-all approach. And this is where I think this is a tough thing about Gainsight, but also a beautiful thing about Gainsight is that 
they are building a product and they're building an industry that allows you to kind of use their their expertise, use their product to tailor it to your organization. It's a framework. They're just saying, listen, you have this framework, as you just said, and now we're like scoring things in this particular way. And therefore, this is the outcome that you should be going for. The way you go for that outcome is going to be very individualistic to your business. And I think this whole concept of know thyself, I think is super important. Um, but you have to know thyself in the context of your business and the outcome that you're going for. Right. And it's specifically because like success means something different to each of our customers, right? Yeah. And I would argue even on, if we want to kind of extrapolate this out on an individual basis, you know, success to you as an individual is different than success to me as an individual. And when we align that success, that's where beauty like tends to come um, when building a business. That's nice. Did you like that? I did. I just want to make it poetic after I just destroyed you and your terrible opinions. I don't know if uh, you destroyed Oh, me, there uh, we go. We can, uh, All right. Well, to close <laughs> things out, I I think we had a really, really good discussion here around what is customer success, customer success aligning with product, and that alignment, that precipice of alignment being around the metrics or the outcomes that the team is supposed to go after. But I think this whole concept of know thyself is one of the most important things for this particular lesson. And to close that out, I'd love for Nick to kind of say in his own words, particularly one of the biggest lessons of his career, which is around know thyself. Is something that you struggled with in your career that you overcame, and how'd you overcome it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, at any so, point in your career, so yeah. many things. Totally. I still struggle. Just be honest. Like, if, if you're struggling, I'm struggling every single day yeah. with like, am I the right person? Can I do it? All those things every day. Um, but one thing I definitely struggled with, and and I continue to try to get better at, is getting more confident that I have a leadership style and I don't need to take it to somebody else's. So a good example of that which probably people watching this video could figure out, which is I'm a very positive, energetic person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny because I read um, Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is a famous business book by Ben Horowitz, and it's an amazing book, and everyone should read it. And I read it, and, and I've never met Ben Horowitz, but he's a famous VC and entrepreneur. And But if you read the book, he's a pretty hardcore guy. And I remember reading it and going into an all-hands meeting at Gainsight, and in this book, the guy says, you know, just tell them the unvarnished truth, and they'll be right there with you. And don't like window dress. Don't be like all bubbly and positive. So one of the all-hands... I did this like much more austere here and then everyone hated it. And, 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 and what I realized was um, it, what works for somebody else doesn't always work for you. And I guess maybe the further I go in my career, I'm like, you know what? There's a certain personality I've got and a certain way. Of, and a lot of things are good about it. And there's some things that I don't do. So I have to compliment myself with amazing people around me. But I, you know, trying to change like the fundamentals, sometimes that just backfires. So yeah. that's the biggest thing I've, I've wrestled with. Yeah, it's like know thyself and be that. Know thyself and then like, yeah. and then be myself, be comfortable with it. I'm not, never going to check every box. This has been a Recurse Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more like it at profitwell.com slash recur. 